Our scripture lesson this week comes from the second letter to Timothy, uh, chapter 1. Let's share in God's good word together. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You may have heard that money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not right. Actually, it is a misquote from the Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where it says, Those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. What the Bible teaches is that we are to love people and use money to help them, and never to use people and love money and lose our very soul. You may have heard that money can't buy happiness, but Harvard researchers found out that the way you spend money does greatly influence your happiness level. Isn't that interesting? Harvard researchers found that to get happier as we prosper, we need to change the choices we make with our financial resources. They analyzed the happiness benefits of at least four uses of money. The first, number one, buying consumer items. Number two, buying time to pay for help, you know, like hiring people to do tasks that you don't enjoy. Number three, buying experiences, like going on vacation with a loved one. And finally, number four, donating to charity or giving to friends and family. The evidence is clear that although people tend most of the time to buy more stuff, much greater happiness comes from the other three. What is interesting to me is that the very things the Bible teaches about money, like helping others and sharing life together in meaningful work and family celebrations, are the things researchers are now proving in the social sciences that bring about a full and happy life. So when we vow to support the church with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, it is not that God needs these things from us. Our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness to the church are blessings to us. These are things we need to live happy and meaningful lives. So I hope you will join us today as we go all in together on what God has for us. So we are in our third week of our sermon series, All In, both now and for 2022. And as a way of introduction, I do love that graphic, but I have to remind us that as United Methodists, we do not support gambling in any form. Gambling is a menace to society, deadly to the best interest of moral, social, economic, and spiritual life, and destructive of good government. This is our official statement from 2016 at our last general conference. It goes on to say, Gambling feeds on human greed and invites persons to place their trust in possessions rather than in God. It represents a form of idolatry that contradicts the first commandment. So, while I love the graphic, all in, and I want us to be all in, and I hope you sense the excitement about that, Uh, we oppose gambling in all its forms. So in week one, we learned that we're going to participate in worship, but we are the church. Will you say that with me? We participate in worship, but we are the church. Those are not synonymous. Worship is something we do as church together. And as United Methodist Christians, we are all in with our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. And as you may have figured out by now, in this five-week series, uh, we're taking each one of these week by week. The first week was prayers, last week was presence, this week is gifts. And then we'll finish up with service and witness. So in week two, we go all in to show up for one another with our presence. That's what 
presence means, to really show up for one another. Last week we looked at the story of Ruth um, as uh, Naomi and Elimelech. They travel from Bethlehem. They have a famine. They come over here past Jericho all the way down past the Dead Sea and over to Moab. And it's there at Moab that their two sons uh, meet um, two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And so we have this incredible story of Ruth and her faithfulness to her mother-in-law. The story says that Elimelech and the boys, they die. And so Naomi's going to head all the way back to Bethlehem on a very dangerous journey by herself. That's what she intends. And so what we find from this story is that we can show up even when it's difficult, even when it's dangerous and the outcome is unknown. Ruth shows up for Naomi, even though it's a very tenuous situation. The, The scripture says this in the book of Ruth. Then they wept aloud together. The three women did. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth, she clings to her. She clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. This is Naomi talking to Ruth. You return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, Ruth says, I will die. Friends, that is all in. That is all in with presence. We've got a lot to learn from Ruth. You see, God takes Ruth's acts of obedience and saves the world. You're like, well, I didn't see that in the story. Well, think about this. Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of King David. And our Messiah Jesus comes through the line of David. And if you look in Matthew 1, there's Ruth right in the middle of the genealogy. So you never know what God's going to do with your obedience. This week, I want to ask this question. What is the kingdom of heaven worth to you? What is the kingdom of heaven worth to you? In Matthew 13, uh, Jesus is telling uh, a whole bunch of parables, one right after another, after another, after another. And he says this, Jesus does, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid, then in his joy, he's, he's thrilled about this, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and buys that field. He is all in. What he has found is worth more than everything he owns. It's worth everything. So he goes all in. And so what Jesus is indicating is that God's kingdom is worth everything you have. Only a fool would not give up what they have to have what God has for them. The wise move is to be all in for the things of God, the kingdom of heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven is where what God wants done is done. We say that with me. The kingdom of heaven is where what God wants done is done. Now, in your Bible, you may also come across the kingdom of God. It's the same thing. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. In both of those um, phrases, it means that you are in the place where the will of God is happening. So also in Matthew 13, another parable, Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls on finding one pearl of great value. You may have heard it as the pearl of great price. He went and sold all that he had. There it is again and bought it. He's all in. So whether it's a treasure in a field or the pearl of great price, in both of these parables, Jesus is saying when we go all in, the smart move is to go all in to have what God has for us in the kingdom of God. And so if the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is where what God wants done is done, the main kingdom that competes with God's kingdom is your kingdom, my kingdom. See, your kingdom is where what you want done is done. And church, 
We have a really bad habit of, of saying, oh, well, the battle is between God and those people or God and, and them over there. No, no, no. The main battle is in every heart between God's kingdom and our own kingdom. But here's the great news, friends. God can do great things with even a little obedience and action. Friends, God can do great things even with just the tiniest little bit of our obedience and action. See what God can do in your life. But we do have to act. It is important that we're obedient to God and let him do whatever God wants to do because it's good. Jesus told yet another parable. He says it like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. In my pocket is just little yellow mustard seeds. And if uh, you were to see in my hand, they are tiny. It is the smallest of seeds. Um, You you can see there are many seeds just in the palm of my hand. Um, They are smaller than a piece of rice. Jesus goes on the parable to say, It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree. If you've never seen a mustard tree, they look like this. They're huge. It's more than just a little bush. It, It is a huge tree. That's what God can do. And friends, each and every one of you, you are uniquely gifted by God. And he's ready to do something great with you. Now, Paul, in the, in the early church to Rome, he says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to be all in with all that you are, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So our real worship is our life, our, our whole life. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Of course, we're going to battle and, and we're going to have this battle between the world and God. Of course, that's true. But, but Paul is saying you can be transformed, but you have to set your mind right. You have to turn your mind from the things of earth to the things of God so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For as in one body, we have many members and not all of the members have the same function. So we who are many, the church, are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ. Yeah, our gifts aren't the same, according to the grace given us. God gives us gifts. We are to use them for the community because we depend on God and one another. To put it really clearly, gifts, the gifts that God has given us, are to be used for the community, the body of Christ. That's what the Bible teaches us over and over and over again. In case we missed it there, um, he also, Paul, also says this to the early church, that we are to contribute to the needs of the saints. Not simply take from the church, not just to enjoy all the programs of the church or uh, the music of the church or the child care of the church. No, we are to contribute to the needs of the saints, the real church, the people, one another. We are to help one another out. We are to extend hospitality to strangers. It is our prayer that every person that walks on the property at 4848 West Covell here at Acts 2 United Methodist Church, that they're treated as if they're Christ himself, warmly welcomed, shown great hospitality, and welcomed in the family of faith. Now, maybe not everybody will take us up on that, but the offer is there. The hospitality is there. The welcome is there. We welcome all right here online and in person. And here's our commitment that if you join our community of faith, if you become a full active member of our community of faith here at Acts 2, we want you to know this, that no Acts 2 United Methodist Church member will ever have to go to bed hungry or without a safe place to sleep. I'm the founding pastor here more than 20 years. 
And it is a great joy for me to say not one night, not one day in the history of this church have we had one member go to bed hungry, except when the youth group chooses to do 30-hour famine. And that's so they can be in solidarity with the poor. There's never been a day that people didn't have a place to sleep. That if somebody, you know, if their house burned down uh, or they were hit by a tornado or that, you know what? They slept over at one of their friends' house from their small group. And they were taken care of by the church. The church raised money so that they could rebuild. There's never been a day that any member of our community has had to go hungry or not have a place where they were safe. We have done it. We can do it. We will do it. But it takes all of us to be all in to have that kind of life together. It's a great joy. It's a great celebration. But here's the thing, friends. God gives you gifts to live into the purpose God has for you. He doesn't just give you gifts just so you can do whatever you want. No, you are given exactly what you need to live the life God has for you. And that is a beautiful and joyous thing. So let me ask you the question. How are the gifts God has given you bringing heaven to earth these days? Because that's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer every week here. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is it about your life? How are you stewarding your life, your gifts, your time, your resources, your energy to bring heaven to earth, to be a part of what God is doing here in this place at this time? You might say, well, okay, this is all kind of out there. Why, why is this important? Why are we talking about this today? Because it's a matter of life and death. The Bible talks about life not just being the cessation of breath, but not having the life that God has for you, or as it could be, or as it should be. Again, the Bible says this, for those who live according to the flesh, and every time you see flesh in the Bible, you can almost always just put self, right? Your own abilities, your own strength, right? So if you're going to live according to yourself, you're going to set your mind on yourself, on the things you want. But those who live according to the Spirit, to God, we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. So to set the mind on yourself is death. If it's all about you, well, you're going to die, and that's the end of you. But to set the mind on God, on the Spirit, is life and peace and eternal, never-ending. For this reason, the mind that is set on yourself, it's hostile to God. We don't often say that. I mean, it's, it's kind of a hard teaching, but it is true. If you only think about yourself, you don't think about God. Think about that. If we're all about ourselves, we're hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Right? It's axiomatic. It's, It's just not possible. And those who are in the flesh, those who focus on themselves, cannot please God because God is not first in their life. They are first in their own life. So here's the thing, friends. Eugene Peterson so often has a way of translating the Bible in a way that I think is very helpful. So hear these words again, but this time through uh, the Bible, uh, the message, that translation by Eugene Peterson. He says, obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. That's what God wants, for us to connect with Him and have a bigger life than we could ever have on our own. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he's doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. Not at all. And the reason this is so important is because we reap what we sow. That's just the way the world works. 
every fall about this time, I get really excited because there are these tiny little uh, dead-looking things that are actually bulbs of flowers. And so um, between now and November, I do my best to plant daffodils, these little bulbs just under the earth, about six inches deep, about six inches apart. And then I wait. And in February, I see some little sprouts. Um, and then in March, they come up a little more. And by April and May, they are in full bloom. And I get this. So when I plant daffodil bulbs, you know what I get? Daffodils. And later in the summer, when I plant gladiola bulbs, guess what I get? Gladiolas. And when I plant daylily bulbs, guess what I get? Daylilies. And as a church, uh, sometimes what you plant it doesn't take just one season. Sometimes what you're planting takes years and years. It took seven years of planting and sowing before we got this result, our first building. It's now our chapel building and where we office. But it took us seven years to buy the land and to raise the money and to build that facility. And 14 years later, we're in the process of doing God's will again. And we prayed over what God would have us do next. And we had people write prayers right on the beams themselves. This prayer is from Laura Gans. And as we prayed and as we worked and as we raised funds and as we came together and we served God and served others, 21 years now, this summer, we, well, we reaped this. This is our harvest. So now we can minister even better to children and youth and their families and the community. The scripture is very clear about this, friends. You reap what you sow. And if you sow goodness, you reap goodness. And if you sow badness, you reap badness. It's just the way it is. The scripture says this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. Don't give up, friends. And also, don't expect to feel great if you eat 20 ding-dongs before you go to bed. You're going to wake up feeling lousy. What you eat, right, it affects you. What you, what you sow, you reap. What you do um, with your physical health, with your mental health, and with your financial health, you reap what you invest. And so, again, Paul writes to the early church this time in Galatia. He says, so then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all. That is our sowing, and especially for those of the family of faith. Our first concern, friends, is one another. The way we love one another, the way we care for one another, the way we lift one up lift each other up the way we honor, the way we show honor to one another. This is our witness to a hurting world. That's what it means to bring heaven to earth so that people can see what love looks like. And I don't know about you, but I don't know a lot of people that are millionaires and billionaires. At least they haven't told me that they are. Of course, I am a preacher, so I get that. Um, but I, I want you to hear this um, quote from someone who has uh, today more than $10 million dollars. This, this is what he said. Listen, if you think a lot of money is going to make you happy, you never had a lot of money before. So they've had a lot of money, more than $10 million, and it did not make them happy. Actually, it made them miserable. You know who said that? Mike Tyson. 
Mike Tyson. I never thought I would use Mike Tyson in a sermon, but here he is. So think about this. Mike Tyson, he says, listen, if you think a lot of money is going to make you happy, you never had a lot of money before. At one time, Mike Tyson was worth more than $300 million. And by 2003, he had lost it all, and he was $23 million in debt. He was miserable. He says, listen, if you think a lot of money is going to make you happy, you never had a lot of money before. Well, he's on his way back up. He's back at 10 million. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you're Mike Tyson or anybody else in the world. We all must decide whether we will do what we want or what God wants. That's the question. Are we going to live for ourselves or are we going to live for God? James, Jesus' little brother, he says it like this. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? I mean, you have to decide this war of, am I going to live for God? Am I going to live for myself? You want something and you don't have it, so you commit murder. Now, you may not say that that's what happens in Edmund these days, but think about the times that you haven't gotten your way. Maybe you haven't physically killed them, but you have slandered them or hurt them so that, because you didn't get what you wanted or you thought maybe it helped you get what you wanted. And you covet You hanker after something, and you can't obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. And friends, we have seen this over and over and over again lately. If you didn't get your way about this, then, boy, you're protesting, you're mad, you're saying terrible things online. If you didn't get your way about that, again, flame on, right? Just upset and upset and upset and angry. We've seen way too much of that this year. So many of you know that um, I really love Andy Stanley. He's a preacher's kid uh, like I am. Actually, I say I'm a preacher's kid like he is. He's a little older than I am. And, and he's saying this to his church these days. He says, you know, it's tempting to do nothing and complain about everything. Isn't that true? It is tempting to do absolutely nothing, to sit in your chair and critique the world with no investment on your part. It is really easy to do. And you know what that gets you? Nothing. And actually, when you complain, think about this. Have you ever known somebody who complains who's happy? Have you ever known somebody who complains that's content? Have you known anybody that complains that you'd like to be around? I think the answer is no to all those questions. It's tempting, yes, to do nothing and complain about everything. But if that's what you do, you will reap nothing and you will become angry and you will die alone. That's what that gets you. Because you build nothing with that. But it's tempting for all of us. So as followers of Jesus... We are to ask God what he would have us do, to ask for what we need, and then we are to act on it and to leave the results to God. Ours is to ask and act and to love, and God will do the next best thing for us. Again, Jesus' little brother James, he says, you know why you don't have stuff? Because you don't ask. And when you do ask and you don't receive it, you know why? It's because you're not asking God what God wants. You're asking God to give you stuff you can spend it on what you want, on your pleasures, on things that may not have anything to do with God or his call on your life or the purpose that he has for you. But when you do trust in God, when you trust in God, even in the smallest form, even like a mustard seed, and you you give the results to God, it, it, it results in miracles and joy and a transformed life. Even the smallest acts of obedience can transform your life and the lives of those around you and the world. You say, well, okay, that, well, that sounds pretty good. How do we do this? Well, how do we do it? We pray first, always we pray first, and then we plan based on what God has said to us. 
and then we pledge, we let other people know our intentions, right? I mean, you can't um, build a building, you can't plan a worship service if you don't let people know what you're intending to do. All the good things in life, you have to pray and plan and pledge and then give to Jesus through his body, the church. We are the body of the church. Now, we have church all around the world, but if you're a part of this local community, and we hope you are, we hope you're all in for this, we pray, we plan, we pledge, and then we give, we act in faith. And see, our, it works like this. Our first commitment, it's to God in all things, in our money, our health, our family, our job. God is always first. So when I used to preach about this, about being right with God and his kingdom, I would say the first check is to God, but most of us don't write checks anymore. So the first withdrawal from your account every time you receive something, well, anything of value, that goes to God first, and we trust God with the rest. That's the way it works. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. No one else before him. This is the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. This is first. If God is first, then you are fine. We say that with me? If God is first, you are fine. If God is first, you have no worries. If you have invested in the things of God, then you can trust God to care for you and his church to care for you because you've been obedient to him, that you've put God first. And when you put God first, everything else falls into place. And Jesus says this in a very famous sermon, actually the greatest sermon ever given by the smartest man who ever lived, Jesus himself, our Savior. Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one, love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. Can't do both. You cannot serve God and wealth. You can't. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Don't worry about those things. Is not life more than food? Of course it is. And the body more than clothing? Sure it is. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Of course you are. You're his children. And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? No, of course not. And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, the richest man to have ever lived, in all his glory, was not clothed like one of these lilies, Jesus says. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is used for fuel for your oven, will they not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, because all of this is true, Jesus says, don't worry. Be not afraid saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? Jesus says it's people outside the faith, people that don't know him, people who don't know the goodness of God that worry about this stuff. For it's the Gentiles, people outside the faith, who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Sure he does. But strive first, there it is. If we strive first, if we put God first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be given to you as well. You don't have to worry about any of it, because God is first. It's really important that you know this. Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven and money more than anything else in the Bible. So you say, well, why don't we talk about this more if this is what Jesus talked about? Well, because it's uncomfortable. People don't like to have this conversation because most of us are not right in this category. Most of us are not all in. We're kind of in sometimes when we have enough, when we think we have enough because we're first and we put God where we want to put God. Jesus says that doesn't work. That's no faith at all. 
Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven and money more than anything else in the Bible. And that's why around here, for people who have never tithed, for beginners, for people early in their faith, we offer a 90-day money-back guarantee. And around here we call it the tithing challenge. Now you have to let us know that you're doing it so that we can track your giving. And after three months, after the 90 days, if God hasn't been faithful to you, we'll simply give it back to you. We'll put it in an escrow account, hold it over here, and if you need it back in those first 90 days, we'll give it right back to you. More than 20 years of doing this, we've never had anybody need it back. Not one time. But we have had people have their lives transformed by the goodness of God because what they found is that God was faithful. God is faithful. God is always faithful, and He loves you, and He cares for you. The wise person puts God first and lets God worry about all the rest, although God's not worried about it. He has all power and authority under heaven. That's what Jesus says. So here's the thing. Back in the Old Testament, for thousands of years, this has been true. God says, trust me, test me, and see that I'll take care of you. The prophet Malachi says it like this. Bring the full tithe, 10% of what you have, into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And thus, put me to the test, God says. Try me. See if I'm not good, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. Of course I will. And pour down for you an overflowing blessing. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. I'm for you. I'm for you. I'm for you, God says. Trust me. Let's go live in the kingdom. Where what I want done is done, God says to you. And relax. Enjoy the life I've given you. Andy Stanley's dad, Charles Stanley, uh, still alive and preaching, says it like this. God is responsible for the consequences of our obedience. Thank God. God can do miracles with our obedience. But friends, we are responsible for the consequences of our disobedience. Now think about that. If we put God first, we can trust God with all of our life. But if we put ourselves first in disobedience, then we're responsible for what happens next. We ought not blame God on it, right? So if we sow um, just a little bit cheaply uh, with bad seed, with bad intents, uh, with a bad heart, Don't expect God to do something great with that. No, bad things happen. And then we say, oh, God's punishing us. No, God's not punishing us. We are reaping the harvest that we have sown ourselves. We dare not blame God for it. It's not God's fault. We can trust God with our obedience. He's responsible. He has the power to lift us up. When I was in college, I went to a Christian concert and Compassion International was there. They had a table and they had all hundreds of these little children that needed sponsors around the world. I came across this uh, young girl named Sylvia Segalas. And at that, that time, my heart was moved and it was something like $28 or $38 a month. And so I began to do that, as, most, as difficult as that was in college. And they gave me this little card, which I keep it on my desk, um, as a way to remember God's faithfulness and, and what God expects of us. And so... Here she is, born December 29th, 1981. She's from Bolivia, like I said, and oh my gosh, it was just a a beautiful time. But it was also in that time that Chantel and I met and fell in love, and it came time for us to get married. Uh, We we were going to get engaged around Christmas time. And so I didn't know where the money was going to come from. I was faithful in my tithe to my church. Uh, This was uh, an offering, an over-and-above gift that I was doing. And in my prayer time, I was really worried and concerned about how was I possibly going to buy a ring for Chantel. And I really felt like the Lord was leading me to say, you don't need to um, sponsor Sylvia any longer. It's okay. 
You can stop that. And I was really confused by that. I, w- I was really, it really it was disturbing to me. Like, how can that be? How could you possibly give an extravagant gift to the one you love and not feed a child in need? It just didn't make any sense to me. And so the Lord just kept being you know, really direct about that. And so I finally, one day, I, I made the call to let Compassion International know that I could no longer support this child that I'd supported for, you know, three to four years. And so when I gave them um, her name, my name, and, and the number uh, that's associated with that account, they said, oh, Mr. Foster, we just wanted to let you know we don't need you to support Sylvia any longer. She's graduated from our program. She's doing great. She is fine. And at that moment, I, I couldn't believe it. I had never known a charitable organization to say to one of their donors that have been faithful month after month, oh, we don't need that support anymore. She's graduated. She's fine. She's done exactly what this program was meant to do for her. Now she's helping to care for her family. And I thought, wow, that's just like God. When I couldn't see a way, God had already made a way. I just couldn't see it yet. And God will make a way for you as well. It's not that it's so important for wealthy people to tithe, although it is. It's also important that people without much tithe so they can all see God at work in the world to see what God will do with your faithfulness. That's when our faith really shines. See what God will do for you in your smallest act of obedience. That's our action step for this week. From week one, I hope you'll be praying with us five times a day and also to be present with God and others. That's week one and two. This week, I really do hope that you will ask God to show you what percentage of the gifts given you that you are to share with others. In in the Old Testament, uh, as we talked about, it was a tithe, 10% of all that you had. In the New Testament, it was 100%. They sold their goods and possessions and gave it to the church so that they could provide for any who had need. So your percentage, it's probably somewhere between 10% and 100%. Just ask God what that might be. And if you're new to the faith, and and this is all new to you, still, I would encourage you to talk to God. And and maybe you start at 2 or 3% and see what God will do with your faithfulness. See if God will not pour out a blessing in your life, as the prophet said he would all along, as he has in mine. And then finally, friends, if you are a part of our church, if you are a member of Acts 2 United Methodist Church online, anywhere in the world, we hope that you will turn in your estimate of giving for next year, this coming Sunday, October 3rd, either online or in person if you happen to be in town. It really helps us. It helps us be faithful. It helps us be better stewards to the people that we work with all around the world. It lets us know if we have money to do the things that God's calling us to do. And so we hope that you will let us know. It's not a contract. It's simply an estimate. But it's, it really helps us to plan by your pledge and your estimate of giving. We hope you will. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.